0: Good afternoon and or morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vonderjek, coach at Top Step Training. I've got Elliot. Hey, everybody. Elliot Bassett, uh,
1: coach at Mountain Endurance, mtnendurance.com, or is it MNT? It's one of those two. And Marilyn.
2: (laughs) Hey, guys. What's up? What's going on? I'm... uh... Marilyn Chicota, you can find everything on me at mcc.coach. Happy to be here with you guys again.
0: Yeehaw, it's been a minute. I'm glad we are back. And yeah, well, what's, what's good? Why has it been a minute, Jesse? <laughs> what is uh, the big news? Well, I guess, I don't know if it's big news, little news, or just kind of news, but mm, my family, my dog, and myself are now located in Switzerland. So Little adjustment period there on, on the home front. Um, but yeah, we moved and Amy is now working in an international school here. Frankie is now attending SET international school. And I am now sitting behind a computer in a different location. Um, and it's and not Everyone
2: warmer is, in Tucson than it is in Switzerland.
0: Yeah, it's like the same temperature right now in Switzerland as it is in Tucson. But it feels warmer here because, uh, yeah, we're not in the desert.
1: Uh, the DMs, uh, my DMs are filling up with questions wanting to know, is your dog loving the fact that it's no longer in the desert where it's often hot for its
0: runs? Um, my dog is in absolute heaven now. He is not a desert dog by any means. I don't know how he was born in Tucson because like when he gets over 60, he's like Elliot, he just loses it when it's over 60. And so so we get here and it's like high of 35 and he's like jumping around in the snow. He's playing in the water when it's 35 out, just like, Oh, this is fine. Um, Yeah. He's gone on some pretty big mountain adventures up. Like we're pretty low where we are, but we can get up to like 2000 feet pretty, pretty quick. And up in kind of some deeper snow and yeah he's been he's been loving the uh the snow and the the cold that's
1: fantastic I'm very happy for your dog
2: how's the family liking winter
0: um well I don't know if you know this about Frankie but she basically wears an Elsa dress 90% of the time when she's not at school so the fact that there's snow here and she can pretend that it's because of her magic makes her as happy as the dog so Between the two of them, um, they are pretty darn excited about winter. And Frankie has been doing the same, walking around in a princess dress uh, all over Switzerland. And yeah, she is pretty excited about the snow. She likes her new school. um, So that is good. And yeah, so Frankie is loving it. Amy is loving the cold a little bit less, but much more so than she thought. Nice. So
2: yeah very fun.
0: The family is doing well. Um, But Marilyn, I know that it's cold in Tucson. You were just someplace a little bit warmer than Tucson, eh?
2: I was. That was very Canadian of you, eh? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, second trip to Costa Rica. So some people might have heard our episode with the Pure Vita Challenge crew. Went down there again with them and spent a week just outside San Jose doing those epic steep climbs and um, it's interesting to go back a second time and and get like a per- different perspective on what they felt like after when I went down there last time I hadn't really done very much training and I had uh, hadn't really done much preparation for steep climbing. And so, to, and, and had never seen them, right? It was like the first time ever to be faced with things that were that steep. So to go down a second time and get a different perspective on it was, was really cool. They're still steep. Uh, <laughs> definitely still steep, different, you know, just being in a different culture and getting to ride around with, with that group as well, the locals there and how they ride and attack climbs and and all of that it was yeah it was a great trip it was definitely still hard still tiring uh it was a little warmer this time so that took a lot more out out of you on those climbs as well so yeah really great trip just got home a few days ago
0: awesome sounds super fun <laughs> hopefully sometime when i'm not in switzerland i can join you down there
2: yeah um, totally
0: and Elliot, you are brought, You are coming to us from a storage closet somewhere? Storage
1: closet in uh laundry room slash storage closet in Boulder, Colorado. Still, it's uh, apparently we're keeping our streak alive of going to moderately cold places and having it be the coldest winter on record. I think this is the <laughs> third time this has happened to us in the last five years, Um they say the snow melts every week. I've been here three months, and it's been snow free in our driveway for like one week of the three months it's 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 actually kind of funny because it's not windy and it's always sunny, so it's really not bad um It'd be hard to get out for a road ride on a lot of days, but totally capable if you have enough clothes on and if you're on your mountain bike, not a big deal um yeah, it's pretty nice, and Eric is settling and it in it's nice to kind of like um be able to go to the pool and everyone there she's she's like oh I get to actually know how fast Holly Lawrence swims so like if she's not making the front pack at Half Iron main Worlds it's like is this because she's not that good of a swimmer or like how good of a swimmer is she gets to actually see those comparisons on the day-to-day and um, are you rubbing it in because you can get to a pool there there are pools all over the place but surprisingly none of them are that nice it's like that's one of the things like it's just like there, I think there's eight pools within 15 minutes of us and they're all like middle of the road. None of them are amazing. So, but I mean, honestly, if there's just a bunch of options, you're not gonna miss out on swimming. And I think that's one of the biggest things when when it's part of your job, but you don't have dedicated lane space anywhere. So there's, there's multiple spots in this town where five to 15 professional triathletes are meeting up for unofficial group swims and that's pretty darn nice and it's also nice when you're just out training and you regularly see people you're racing against um at the highest level so i think that's super nice and on my front i found a few halfway decent coffee shops and the indian place half a mile away has an amazing lunch special so that's uh making me happy
0: awesome yeah well so I guess on the actual coaching fronts and that's, that's kind of why we're here. <laughs> we all have, you know, a, a bunch of different athletes getting ready for different things, but I always find this time of year really interesting because, you know, we're partway through January and people have been itchy to get back to training. Everyone's kind of, you know, back from the holidays and put in some weeks of pretty solid training. Everyone's starting to kind of feel good and, and their fitness is coming around a little bit and, of like that that big question is like what should i be doing right now because like i'm starting to feel a little bit more fit and you know training is starting to get in a groove here and like where should i be directing this this energy and this kind of like this positive mojo i have in order to be ready to race in whether it's like the spring which you know could still be three or four months away whether it's the summer or maybe it's not even until the fall so like how do you direct that and like i guess i'm talking about this from say the perspective of a self-coached athlete who's like you know is not sure what to do right now and like so i kind of want to talk about maybe what we're doing with some of our athletes or like if we can kind of generalize what athletes could be doing this time of year in order to move the needle so that come race day um you know they can be in the best shape they need to be for that race and and yeah, I remember being in Tucson this time of year where it's like, you know, you jump on the shootout and it's like the hardest shootouts in the, in the entire year. Cause the cyclists are super fit right now. And, and that was always really hard for me to be like, oh, I'm probably going to get dropped today, but like, that's okay because I'm getting dropped in January and I don't want to be super fit. Um, so yeah, kind of that, that perspective of like, what should you be doing? Maybe what shouldn't you be doing? How, how can you, how can you get your fitness to the right spot? What areas can you be working on that make the most sense to be working on right now? And, and yeah, like how, how do you direct that energy that will put you in the best shape? And I like to think about it like when it's time to start training for your race, like when you're like, Hey, now I need to be specific. Where do you want your fitness to be at that point in time?
2: Yeah, I think what a, it's such a big topic and what a great conversation to have. And I think that one of the most important things, sorry about that, guys. One of the most important things is managing people's expectations on pacing the year. And the most common mistake before we even dive into those, those things is them at this time of year after having the holidays is comparing their numbers right now to their end of season when they were at their fittest so first you have to I think put that precedent for it as you said really importantly right you go on the shootout and you're like oh I might get dropped but when and all you're thinking about at that moment is I'm getting dropped not you know, Oh, it's, it's January. I shouldn't be doing my lifetime best road race on this particular Saturday in January when it's a long year and I've got to pace my whole year. So that's, a, uh, you know, I think that that's the first thing that we have to remind people is that if you're doing sessions, comparing your pool times or your splits and, and your Watts on the, maybe you're locked into the trainer or you're, you're out on a shootout or something like that. And you're, doing your runs and, and these kinds of things are all those metrics that you normally measure to watch that you're not comparing them to maybe you just raced in November or December. Or, you know, the, if people did Indian Wells it was as late as December, like, oh my God, my numbers aren't exactly the same as they were a month ago. And, and yeah, they shouldn't be right now. So I think that that's important to, to make sure that you, you note that when you're looking at what you should be doing right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say if they are, you're probably in trouble, right? You maybe you need to pull the plug again or something. Cause if you are hitting, you know, you're, you kind of like your standard threshold when you're fit already, then yeah. I don't know if you're setting yourself up to race well later in the year.
1: I know one thing I like to do, particularly at this time of year, and obviously I've spent a lot of my coaching career in Montana or Canada uh, now in Colorado, where it's, it's a bit colder, there's less daylight is in keeping in mind, um, like when you might have your peak performances and and a lot of people I'm coaching are looking at races in November, which is darn near a whole year away. This time of year, I try to really take the focus off, like anything that could be conceived as pace work or race work or being even being comparable and just working on like durability and health and just saying, like, okay, are we in a position to actually train hard? as your body able to absorb that load? And so maybe you're working on things that are more technically focused. Maybe they're working on more um, strength focused, or just like setting a routine and like having the goal almost be like, can we have a routine? Depending on like which athlete it's for. And so like there's some version of technical mastery or or even mastery in the routine. And, and for some people, it is like a it's like a strength that's a pure strength focus. I mean, I know one person in particular, a coach, they're just, they're an old power lifter and they just finally decided they wanted to get back into like lifting, but only on the side. So we just set aside a block to still swim, bike and run, but still lift. And then we'll make the transition. So it's like, there's zero focus on um, biking numbers or running pace. It's just like, if you biked, you won. If you ran, you won and the deadlifts are going up. So I
0: I like that kind of change of focus. I think
2: that really, really, sorry, go ahead.
0: Uh, I was going to say, I like how you talk about keeping that routine. I think that it, it can be really easy to lose that time if you stop carving it out. So like, even if you're not using that time to go as hard or go as far or go as long, you're still like, Oh, well, I still have, you know, my mornings or my evenings or whatever it is to train and, yeah maybe i'm just doing technique work in the pool or maybe i'm lifting instead of riding hard but you're kind of maintaining that that time for for training you're keeping it carved out of your life so that when you do actually like you know need to use a little more of it or go a little harder you still you have that routine and that time is already set away
2: yeah i think you want to really look at like if when you're planning what you're going to be working on you've got to look at where do you live and so one, when are your, does your race season start? So working backwards from your A races and really taking the time to map that out. Like what is exactly four weeks out, eight weeks out, 12 weeks out, 16, 20. Right. And so you have a very clear visual of what those weeks look like and where you're at in relationship to it. And then where you live is going to determine a lot of what you're able to do. So for example, it might be, Hey, yeah, I need to do a big if I look at my weaknesses, I look, I reviewed my last year. I look at my strengths. I look at what, you know, where I'm at in my career, as far as number of years training, you know, that's going to dictate a lot, all of these questions, but then, you know, if you live somewhere where you got to ride the trainer all the time, the bike training you choose to do is, is going to be dictated on, you know, if you can't get outside for, a whole bunch of cycling on the road, what you do is going to be very different than even, even if you're taking into account, okay, well, this is my weakness. So this is what I need to be working on. And you know, this is the number of years in the sport. And this is where my race season's at. and you might like look at all of that and be like, Oh, ideally I do a big bike block with, you know, lots of long aerobic riding right now and get my hours way, uh, way up. Oh, wait, just P- PS. I live somewhere where I'm going to, I can't go outside at all. I'm just on the trainer. Well, those two completely contradict one another. So now you have to come up with a different plan to still address all of, you know, I've got, I'm 20 way, 20 weeks out from my race season starting, and this is my weakness, but I've still got to figure out how to make that dial move for when I get closer to the races, knowing that, Hey, I'm locked in on a trainer because are you really going to sit on the trainer three, four hours, you know, four or five times a week at zone two? No, please don't do that. Like if you're thinking about doing that, please don't do that. So it's, you know, there's a lot of things that dictate putting a plan together, but I think the start of it is that list right like when does my race season start what were my weaknesses where do I live um what is it I'm actually trying to change change and then um what's what do I have access to all of those kinds of things
0: do you do you think it's always do, do you always use this time to say focus on a weakness like I tend to do that that's how my brain usually goes but do you ever say hey like let's make your strength stronger so that It'll be really topped up when we start the year. Have you ever flipped that on its head? No? Okay. I'm just curious. Wait,
1: no, sorry. Uh, Make a strength. I, I don't always use this. I guess the answer is yes. I don't always use this time to focus on a weakness. I think I regularly don't. And it's more just like the building of a routine takes a lot of time. And so, for instance, this might not be the routine you expected, but I started working with a few newer folks. New to me, not new to triathlon. I've been doing it a while. They're, They're fit and fast. They didn't rest. So I was like, the new routine was like, hey, you can't just work always. Right? And so, like, getting comfortable with the fact that taking, carving time out for recovery or not doing the absolute maximum that they can handle, like, the absolute maximum you can handle and the absolute maximum you can absorb are not the same thing. Right? And so I actually have a couple of athletes who are like around the same speed and some of them I'm trying to get to the point where they understand that built in rest in their program is okay. And that doesn't necessarily mean days off. It just In in their case, it means not using every single available second of their life that they could be training to train. And then there's other people and they're like literally like racing against each other who are so worried about being overly tired. They still work hard, but they're their tendency is to go well I don't know if I should be pushing just yet because I need to have this energy for later and so like in the long run as long as both people do their workout the person whose tendency is to maybe do slightly less is going to last longer but if you want to get faster and want to get faster eventually you have to get good at pushing the envelope so it's like these two people or it's actually like four of them and like there's two and two in each group and a couple of them I'm like, just pulling back. And I'm like, how do I convince them to take this time out and get comfortable with the routine of rest? And the other people I'm trying to get them comfortable with the routine of maybe you are kind of exhausted, and you're just shit in this one swim that we expect you to be the shit swim, because you're so tired. Does that make sense? And so like, we're building in that case, it's more of like a mental routine. Um, Before we got on the show, we were talking about yet another person, one of us coaches who, who was maybe going through a similar situation where they have to mentally be prepared for the scenarios they're getting ready for so the programming i'm writing is putting them into a mental space which i would consider a routine they have to get used to which is neither i guess that is function that's focusing on a weakness uh in a way but it's not focusing on a they have a not enough to get out speed in the swim or they don't produce enough torque on the bike without having lower back issues on the bike like that's often like weaknesses you and i all three of us would focus on, but I don't think that's what you're getting at when you're talking about weaknesses. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: No, but I think that is a, a kind of a great thing to point out that like weakness doesn't have to be, you know, something that's on your, your power profile or on like, you know, a certain aspect of, it can be your mental game and your mental game in racing or your mental game in training. And it sounds like, you know, that's kind of one of the things you're focusing on there. And I think that, yeah, you need to have, like a certain mental game for all these things and you need to know like how your approach is going to be. And I think that that does count as a weakness, right? I I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You call it a mental game because for a lot of these
1: folks I'm thinking about, I don't even think of it as mental. I think of it as habit. Like they're all of them to a T have been like, yeah, okay, let's do that. They don't have any issues with it. It's just, they're not used to it. Right. It's like the person who you like find out they only brush their teeth for 20 seconds. And you're like, no, 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 no. But like that's not enough. Like you and they're like, what do you mean? I brush my teeth. I think it's normal. They're not a per- when they when they go to the dentist, they honestly answer, yes, I brush my teeth. And they're like, something's not add enough. Or like if you floss, but you just floss between one tooth every time, like you're like, there's a whole bunch of other spots you gotta get. So it's it's kind of like that. I don't know. Marilyn's looking the at the like, hygiene silly. analogy. Yes. That's actually a pretty
2: good analogy. That's good. (laughs) I do. I do think too, it depends. Um, like you said, you took on some newer athletes and it depends on a person's history of what you'd be working on this time of year as well. Like if someone's been racing for 15 years and they just came off a really big season, it's going to look a lot different than someone who perhaps is like their first or second year in triathlon and you're still building them towards more and more you know training and you know more racing and that kind of thing so it's like that really i think plays a big part that is different than like strengths and weaknesses it's necessarily like what is your history as well like what do we need to do in this time to make sure that when the race season starts you're ready to go and what's and it is that the mental side that you're talking about is the ones that are newer usually don't want to be working very hard at this time of year they're like whoa like you said, you know, you're introducing them to a lot of stuff and you're encouraging them that, like, Hey, you're okay. It's okay to be this tired. This is like what to expect. And you have to build them up to handle that so that eventually, yeah, they're able to, you know, continue do week after week that same routine and not be so beat up from it. So by the time you get into race preparation, they've got that mental ability and physical ability to handle the training to be ready to do race preparation. Whereas a seasoned athlete, They are probably really gung ho to train right now, but you're looking at them going like, if we start training really hard right now in four weeks, you're going to be peaked and ready to go to a race. And we don't have a race until, you know, 12 weeks from now, or even 16 weeks from now. So like, hold it back, hold it back, hold it back. So, you know, maybe you're giving them other stuff that is going to prevent them from not that it's going to help them in the long term, but maybe prevent them from hitting like peak numbers. For example, if someone's hitting the gym really hard right now, yeah, are you going to address some strength issues? And perhaps it's going to transfer over into more durability in the back half of their run, some more power on the bike, these kinds of things, but it's also going to cap what, how high a Watts or how fast a paces they're going to be able to hit on swim and run or watts that they can hit on the bike. Cause they're going to have a significant amount of fatigue from the gym. So you're, you're doing two things. You're, making some improvements, maybe structurally or injury prevention, or even in those other areas, but you're also putting a governor on them because they're not going to be able to go that hard in the other stuff when they're doing, you know, really good strength training. So it can serve as a, as a purpose there as well.
0: Yeah. I have a couple of people that I'm doing that kind of exact thing with. I'm like hoping we can put some more weight on and uh, you know, get them to, to bulk up a little bit stronger before the year. Wait, did and, you mean more
1: weight like on the bar or
0: on their body? Like uh, I'm just curious both. from a technique both. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, on on their body eventually. But I think probably is gonna start out on the bar first. Um but yeah, I'd love to get a little more weight on their bodies and uh and I think that will help them in the long run. And but in the meantime, it is like like Marilyn's talking about, when you're when you're actually trying to get stronger like that, that's you're gonna be kind of sore. And, that, and that's definitely it makes it hard to like run fast and um <laughs> So yeah, you're definitely going to slow them down a little bit in that process, but, but I think again, that's okay. Like if that's what you want to do in January, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like you probably don't want to be going fast.
2: You know what? Let's talk about that for a second. You made a really interesting point, Jesse, about people tend to, especially triathletes be fixated on body composition and weight, and they want to be at their leanest all year. So that's another thing to consider with your athletes about pacing the year is you know, yes, we want healthy, healthy habits and good nutrition, but exactly as you said, you actually have the goal for some of your athletes to put on some weight this time of year, because we know by June and July with all the training and intensity that that's going to be stripped right off them. So let's talk about that a little bit.
0: I'm heavy right now. I know know that. So personally, that's where I'm at. Uh, which is which is I, good. I,
1: speak for yourself. I'm heavy and it's bad. Um, but I'm also not racing. Yeah, I think Marilyn, that's a that's a very good point. This is actually so um they did a bunch of testing at the Olympic Training Center for the national team. And so Erica went and got a DEXA scan. And it's one of those things where there's like it's almost like I was talking to another one of the national team athletes who shall not be named. Um I guess, for privacy reasons, but they, they did DEXA scan. Jesse, are you okay? Jesse is okay, everybody. So the athletes were doing DEXA scans, which is essentially like body composition stuff. And some of them were doing resting metabolic rate tests. Essentially, what are their caloric needs if they're just at rest all day? And for a lot of them, it's more just like at the high, high level. They're like, I can't be too skinny. I need to eat enough because the training that you have to do to be really, really fast, is just a massive load. And so a lot of the truth, like the people who are trying to make the Olympic team or, or get medals at the Olympics, their concern is like, sure, eventually you have to be lean. But in January, the bigger concern is, do I weigh enough and am I eating enough so that I don't get too lean? And I think that's, as you move up the ranks, not getting too lean becomes more of an emphasis, which what I think below a lot of people's minds who are at the lower level, um, the people at the top are like not cutting their calories. They're like, holy smokes, do you know that just at rest, I burn this many calories and I'm already at XYZ body fat. There's not much to go. Like there's no messing around here. I have to have an extra plate of rice, even though I don't really want to, because I'm exhausted. Um, and I think that's a pretty big point as, as you train more, there's like always a risk. And being being two pounds overweight is a thousand percent better than being half a pound underweight.
2: And I mean, to make it clear for people, the reason why is because as the season goes on, you know, you're such high risk of injury and illness and if you are too lean all year. So if people are like, well, why not? Like, why wouldn't I, I do an endurance sport? Why wouldn't I want to be as lean as possible all year long? Then that's the reason, right? I mean, just when you get into your race season, you're going to be so susceptible to injury and illness. So taking, taking that bit of time to, like Jesse said, bulk up a little bit in the winter. Now in saying that for some people listening, if they struggle with being a touch overweight in, and that's something that is hard for them for their best performance, because there are amateur athletes out there that, you know, they're, they're not at their leanest. This might be the time of year when training's a little lighter to establish those routine and good healthy eating habits so that when when training stress goes up, making good choices to eat is harder, right? Because we're starving. And so if that's an issue for you, well, your training stress is different or a little lower, maybe that's the time to establish a new routine and new healthy habits so that you start to work on trimming down a little bit so that once you start your race season, you're like, oh, now I am a little bit healthier and leaner and, and in a better position going into my race season. So it's two completely opposite extreme ends, right? Like the ones that are too light, too little, too lean, all of these things. And you're thinking, man, I've got to put some weight on this person so that By the time they hit their race season, they're not at risk of being injured, weak, you know, not able to perform, not able to hit their sessions, sick, susceptible to illness, those kinds of things. And then we've got the ones that maybe they struggle with their weight a little and while training stress is lower, it's the time to to make some correction there and, and get them on a good path and trim down just a little bit while the stress is lower and they can focus on that.
1: Yeah. And I think a big thing about that also is sleep. So when I was talking about routine earlier making sure you have enough sleep is like one of the easiest, like if you're not sleeping, good luck losing weight. Right. It's like, you need to have enough sleep. You need to be rested enough. Jesse's laughing at me. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because I don't sleep enough and I'm chubby these days, but,
0: um, (laughs) no, I wasn't laughing. I was laughing at my own sleep habits currently with, uh, uh, with child and how hard it is to get good continuous sleep anymore. And, uh, I, I wish that was a, a solvable problem because I agree.
1: It's with princess. Maybe if you call her by her name. How dare you call Elsa just a child? (laughs) All right. So, but I think that's important to to like make that a part of your habit, what you're saying, Marilyn, right? Is just like to me, yes, there's like a certain like there's eating habits and cleaning up eating habits, but it's also resting habits. And if you are going to to lose any amount of weight, it really can't be rapid. And it needs to to be like long-term habit changing stuff. And sometimes it's like what Jesse said earlier in the podcast, which is in between X hour and Y hour, I'm always working out. Sometimes it's lifting weights. Sometimes it's running. Sometimes it's going for a bike ride. Sometimes it's doing yoga. Uh, There's swimming involved in triathlon. Some people forget about that too. So just kind of like carving that time out, carving out that rest, and then like, Having some sort of sort of form with your feeling,
2: I'd I'd be really interested to ask both of you. Like I've been pretty open about how I block training in terms of like weeks and my thought patterns on that. Like I very specifically do like taper four weeks, eight weeks, twelve weeks, sixteen weeks, twenty weeks, and then twenty weeks and beyond. And I periodize a person's year based on those, and then take you know all of the moving parts about the athlete. And, and, but work within those blocks, right? Like that's how my brain thinks, well, how do you, I, you know, and obviously there's athletes that like are really seasoned and really talented. Maybe they come into form in like three weeks training, right. Or in a training camp, something like that. So, you know, you, you're definitely taking all of those things into account, but structurally that's how my brain thinks when I'm looking at most athletes years and, and putting blocks together what is there? Do you each have something like that as well? Is it different than mine? Is it like if a, per, a person's going to take, you know, okay, my race is in July 21st. Is there ways that you guys look at it? Or is it six months, three months? Is it two weeks? Like, how do you, how do you think? I,
1: I'm much more rough draft it. And like a lot of your athletes do Ironmans. That's fair to say less of my, a lot less of my athletes do Ironmans, but I know you have non-Ironman athletes, but were you talking about just anybody or people who have like one or two big goals? Because I think a big thing for me would be the people who have one or two or maybe three big goals. The idea is similar-ish to what you're saying, but I don't like go in and say, hey, this is how many weeks out like you do. It's more like around this time, there will be a switch. But sometimes if someone got sick, that's going to get pushed back. But sometimes if things went really smoothly in the preparatory phase and they're just ready for the next phase, then we just move on to the next phase when their body is ready. Um, And so much of that has to do with like weather. Did they get sick? Did they get a weird injury? Did they get in a bike crash? So I'm not super set on those specific weeks, but the idea and what it ends up being is very similar to what you've described. And that's for people who have fewer races with bigger, uh, emphasis on each race. Whereas like someone like Erica, you don't,
2: you think in chunks, like in blocks like that, you don't think in like, cause some people might think a week at a time or two weeks at a time or like, no, six I, do, I
1: do. I, I write weeks at a time, but mm-hmm. like, I know that like the weeks and the goals of the weeks won't change very much over like this, this current preparatory phase, whatever you want to call this, like, like I was talking about, like setting up the routine. And then I'm not even really thinking like, oh, there's like a strength focus, or there's a, this focus for some athletes, it's like, we're going to add an extra session, once they get this figured out, and then there's going to be a little more daylight, we're going to figure out time to add an extra session. Right? Whereas someone else I might be coaching, they're already doing all the sessions they have, and we're going to add intensity Or we're going to change the kind of intensity that they're doing like once their body's ready um and that's again only for people who have like big goals but there's only a couple of them throughout the year whereas like if erica's racing i mean she might be racing like five times in october and november it's january you know plus you have to fly halfway around the world for each race So it's like a very different focus. Like when can she peak? Essentially never. The idea that she's going to have an eight week block of good quality training and then a taper, it's like, no, she's going to have a plane flight that she has to survive and then show up and she might have to do, you know, three time zone changes during her eight week block plus a race, you know, so it's just, you can't, you can't block it out in that way. And it's more just like, what's the general focus and how do you somewhat. Keep things rolling for that sort of athlete. So I don't, I have very rarely like block things, but when I do, it's in the two months or it's somewhere between eight and 10 weeks before the race where I'm like, this is your build towards often it's a marathon, a half Ironman, an Ironman, a really big gravel race where there's this set block. But then the other 50, 46 weeks of the year are more of this like free flowing waviness, if you will. Uh, still is, does that make sense?
0: But even in that situation, for someone like Erica, like there is, hey, you need to be like ready to start racing. And you know, there's not gonna be like that, like, yeah, one day peak. But when you say there's a period of time where you're like, okay, like we've got from now until whatever it is in the spring where your first race is gonna be, and you've got to show up like decently fit for that race, right? Yeah. Um, so there's gotta be like a chunk of time where you're like, hey, like we've got to now make sure you are going to show up at the starting line to start your race season in a pretty good spot. Maybe the goal is like 90% of fitness, you know, cause mm-hmm. she's got a long season doesn't want to show up to like totally rip her on to go. Mm-hmm. But, but again, like, you know, you got to spend some time where you're like, Hey, we're not going to cross country ski anymore because you have a race in eight weeks or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah. I that's, think- that's fair, but that's one person I coach. And I, I think, more generally speaking, it's this idea of like some of the long course professionals that I coach. It's not necessarily blocked out like that. Cause there's just too many races and we kind of see how things are going. And like, we might change focus mid season. And also a lot of those people they when you have more flexibility to change your race schedule, I try to like leave the season planning, which I guess is the root of your, your question, Marilyn, like, are you, you know, um, leave it a lot more open ended and we might change focus mid year which means we might change the style of training mid year as well not that you wouldn't do that either but you're just talking more about the the timing of it i guess
2: yeah you know, i just i mean i've seen coaches use a different philosophy altogether where they just have like here's your repeatable week you're going to repeat this week in and week out for the next however many weeks until it looks like you're in pretty good shape and then well, we change uh, or oh, yeah, yeah, they don't or, even, or, you head to a race and then you rest and then you come back to that same thing. I've seen that from a few different coaches. And, um, you know, I think that's not realistic for the majority of people, right? Because they don't get to choose when they race, when they get fit, they're not like, okay, I'm fit. Now I'll pick a race and head to it. Most people at this time of year have to look at the race calendar, pick their races, enter it, pay for it, and then plan their, you know, they've got to plan their holidays with, with work and family and pay in advance so there's a very fixed date. It's like these this is my race calendar. And so um but the people who do have flexibility. So that's that's important for people to know, right? There's two different ways to go about things and if you're hearing maybe one person say, "Well, I just I just train and train and train and train and keep doing the same thing and then I go race," right? Like I I repeat this for six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. And then I head to a race and that is very different than, well, I have to pick that my race is on May 22nd because that's yep. when that's the race I entered and I have to enter it six months in advance. And I have to book that off with my work and everything like that. So it's just, you know, handling situations completely Different based on again based on an athlete's circumstances. Jesse, you ha- even um, share with us how you do it. Like as far as the block train, like how do you look at how does it break up in your mind? Because we all have sort of like a method that w- breaks up in our mind.
0: Yeah, I no, I I would say I'm kind of like you and that I chunk it up in like groups of weeks. And I think that the kind of like something you said earlier, where if you're a seasoned athlete and you can get race fit in like three or four weeks. I think that the amount of weeks shrinks and stretches kind of based on the athletes. So for some athletes, it's like, okay, yeah, 20 weeks for an Ironman is what we're looking at. We got like, we need, we need a long lead up for some athletes. Right. I've got other athletes where I'm like, Whoa, like you are going to train a very different way. and, And then like, I also kind of think of it as like a fader, not like a cut point. Like we're going to kind of fade into Ironman training and then kind of fade out of it as like a taper. And then it's going to only maybe look like what you think is Ironman training for like a random three weeks, like, or not a random, but like a set three weeks kind of like going towards the race. And, and, and yeah, that might be very different for another athlete. might be that same idea where we're kind of, kind of fade in from like the preparatory phase into what is like might look like again, more standard Ironman training and then kind of fade out of it. But, but that amount of time might be stretched way out based on, on what the athlete, um, what the athletes experience level and, and what they need in order to be ready to race.
2: I also think it's too, it's good to ask our athletes, like, wait, what are you willing to do? Because like, I have some athletes like, okay, for all those, those circumstances, I look at their program, I go, okay, they're locked into winter. So they're going to be on the trainer. So the the bike sessions are going to have to be trainer specific for a period of time. And then we look at, okay, maybe they're not someone who's going to benefit a lot from the gym. So we're just going to, you know, do rehab and core type stuff and, and keep them, keep them healthy, but we don't need to do a big gym phase. And perhaps they're someone who can't really even run a lot because of maybe an age limiter or injury. So we're, you know, have to stay pretty close to routine and home on the run thing. It's not like we can push the envelope, say like, let's get a 50 mile weekend for three weeks in a row and see how you handle that and push the aerobic engine and the needle forward on running. So let's say all those things are like, no, we can't do that. No, we can't do that based on, okay, they live in the winter and we're far out from the races, but you say to them what you really benefit from is doing a big swim block. Let's go ahead and swim five or six days a week, two to 4k a time and change your aerobic engine and your, your swim ability technique, you know, all capacity, all of this in the pool. And they just go like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, they're just like, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to go to the pool that many days a week, or I don't have access to a pool. So sometimes what we, want to be able to do as well like it's good to ask our athletes we might have this idea of what would be perfect for them based on all of these things and then they're just like you just can't get them to do it they're like I'm not I'm not going to go to the pool that many days a week and I know that sounds ridiculous you're probably thinking well why do they have a coach and why do they even you know what's going on here but that is, you know, I've bumped into that a number of times where I I could see like this person with all of these circumstances would really benefit through the next eight weeks, just trying to swim a lot. And we would make some changes for them overall in their year, but they're like, it's freezing cold out and I have shitty pool access and I'm just not willing to go to the pool five days a week. So, so, you know, there is a lot of different things you can have ideas, but then you have to have important conversations with your athletes. Like I'll ask them like, what are you willing to do? You know what are they physically able to do? What are they logistically able to do, and then like, what are you willing to do as well because when we're working with uh if you're working with a professional, then it's not an option. It's like this is what you need to do period right and, but for most people, it's like what are you actually willing to do that you still enjoy the sport and and are uh able to to keep achieving your goals and making that dial move forward and as an athlete, it's important to ask yourself that question too right what am i willing to do cuz if you ask me right now are you willing to go to the pool 6 days a week no, no. when i was racing professionally yes i had to now i'm like mm, 3 days is fine you know that's 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 enough so yeah
0: no i, I like that i um i definitely like that idea of like chatting with your athlete and just seeing seeing how things sound to them cuz if something sounds miserable then you know you don't probably don't want to put them through that in january right like you need to save like some mental energy from when it needs to be miserable and, and the funny thing is, is that that's like the question I was asking you guys before we started, right. Is, Hey, can I, can I actually be okay only swimming two to three times a week? Cause that's the logistical situation I'm in right now. And, and so I think that that's a very fair question, right. To ask your athletes what they can do. Cause like, yeah, it'd be great if I could swim six times a week, but I can't right now. And, and so I think you
1: did not say two was an option. You said three. So honesty is always a big part of those questions you're asking, right, Marilyn and Jesse?
0: <laughs> well, I swam two times last week. I'm hoping I can swim three times this week and then make that my, I'm developing my routine, Elliot. Just all right, you, walk, you walked it out of there. But I, I think I just wanted to add that in. I mean,
1: obviously I'm poking fun at you, um, but to the point Marilyn was saying, I think the other thing is, sure, you have to ask all those questions. I mean, I think that's a, an imperative part of my job, but then you also have to say, is this person being truthful with me? And are they being truthful with themselves? And the more you get to know someone, the more you get to know those answers. And there's a lot of people who are put want to push so hard, but like functionally, you're going to be burning the candle at both ends for just too long if you do what they are willing to do. So sometimes mm-hmm. that's your job as the coach to be like, you know. I know you're willing to swim seven times a week. I know you can make the time, but like at some point you have to sleep at some point, you know, you have to walk the dog or whatever it might be. And so part of our jobs is as well is to figure out like, what are they willing to do? But then what is actually practical for them? Um, And I think that's, that's a hard part with a lot of triathletes is, or endurance athletes in general is they might run through, try to run through a brick wall if you let them. So (laughs) That that's that's the other side of that conversation
0: yeah, yeah I also need to ask like, what is not going to get them in trouble at home either um, yeah yeah asking yeah, I, what does the spouse say?
2: <laughs> yeah the, the important note you made there Jesse was like what is um like what's not going to burn them out mentally like are they like you had said earlier, like well, it takes me an hour to get to the pool, then I swim for an hour, and then I got an hour back from home, like logistically and mentally, that could be if you had to do that every single day on top of everything else for the next four months, eventually something's going to unravel right, like either you're gonna be really exhausted or the family's gonna be mad or you're you know you're burning you're burning through some matches that okay, yeah, your swim moved a dial forward, but you burnt seven other matches trying to do that, that it just really wasn't worth it, right? So so I think like asking those kinds of things, it's it's important. It's like, what's easiest for the person at that? And, And then there's like the other flip side of that important conversation is like, is this just a roadblock that the person is resisting being coachable? So you say, okay, you've hired me as a coach to help you and I'm trying to push you, in the correct direction to achieve the goals that you're after. So it's like, okay, are you just resisting change? And the reason you hire a coach is to see like what changes you need to make to get to the goal that you want to be, because you can't see yourself. So that's, you know, that's part of the working relationship. And so it's like, yes, now, so is there, you have to dive into the conversation of like, okay, are find out, is this, a logistical issue or is it just the person's resisting being coachable and and if they're if that's the roadblock like hey i'm just not coachable in this area is then the next question as a coach is is that okay are they still going to achieve their goal anyways is there another way to go about this or do we need to say like actually this is your blind spot and we need to we need to figure out why you're not willing to break through that barrier and and accommodate accordingly towards that
1: I agree. Yeah. I think, <laughs> you. No, I, I don't think there's much to add to that. Um, from for at least from my end. But um, Jesse. I um, agree.
2: <laughs> well, Jesse had to Jesse had to bolt there for a second on fair. I just asked, I was just saying about like if someone's if it's like a logistical issue or something that like um is actually a roadblock on their blind spot of being coachable. So defining first when you make these decisions. Asking enough questions with yourself coach or with your athlete, is this just a roadblock that they're not willing to change because, you know, it's a blind spot for them and they just, you know, they're resisting making that change and they're not, and it's okay if it is, you know if you're just like no, like this is an area that I'm not willing to change, but then that that's a conversation that's up front. It's like, okay, well, you might not see the results that you want, or you're not is there a different way we can go about this, but we're just not coachable it, around this topic, or is it like, no, actually, this just logistically isn't possible because you know I can't spend three hours a day going just to the pool or something like that, so I think you know yeah. like anything it, communication is really important there.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just to lean on myself as an example again, because it's easy to pick on me is that that's like a conversation I had with myself when I was like looking at my pool situation, like, is this just kind of like scary and hard because I've got to go figure out how to get in this pool and I can't communicate with these people and I've got to like give them money and take this card and go through this weird turnstile. And I don't know where the entrance to the pool is and I don't know the pool etiquette. And is this just like me being nervous about all these details, or is it actually like a too big of a time investment? And and so that that idea, that question of like, hey, is this like me not being coachable or whatever it is, like not wanting to make the effort necessary to make it happen, or is it actually too much time? And kind of figuring that out, kind of with myself, was one of the processes I had to go through on me getting to the pool here. Elliot, you look confused.
1: No, no, no. I am just wanting you to know that even the guys guarding the turnstiles have military experience because you're in Switzerland. So you should be very fearful. <laughs> um, and I know exactly what turnstiles, it was a different part of Switzerland, but where my aunt and uncle, they live across the border in France, but um, Eric and I were swimming there a few years ago and we were like going in and it was the same thing. We were like, what the heck is going on? You like buy a card but no one's there to help you buy the card, but then you punch it through. I'm, it sounds exactly like the same situation. And then we're like walking through some freezing cold bleach water on our feet and we have no idea what's going on. And we're like, this seems like it's a good system once you know what the system is, but no one's there to help you know what the system is. And that can be really intimidating for, for anybody. And I think for a lot of people, that's like, oh, you want to go to Masters? And you're like, I don't know anybody at Masters and everybody at Masters is really chummy. Right. And so it's like those kind of hurdles of like, am I willing to go to the pool? Uh, Maybe yes. But am I willing to go at the pool where it's a pain in my butt or there's no lane space or you have to fight for lane space? Is that in your personality? Is like, do you have a do you even have like a, a reasonable situation where you could do your own workout in the pool or is it just for casually swimming laps? Right. And I think those are the kind of hurdles that a lot of people have much the same way as like you want to work on your bike handling skills and you live in a part of north america where there's no safe roads to ride on right like it's not surprising that various parts of xyz part of this country people stink at riding bikes because you can't ride a bike without dying so it's like hey guess what zwift is pretty great you know the trainer's pretty great because you don't die whereas um others well, I mean, you know what I mean, but then, then others of us have have had access to like really nice roads that are really safe for driving on, and and you can develop your handling skills when you're actually out on the bike, and and sometimes that's just weather, right? So it's it's all of those questions that kind of Marilyn was saying. Um, are you pushing yourself, or is it just circumstance? And then realizing, will you push yourself? through the circumstance. And then, and then is that a good idea? Is that like good toughness or is that bad toughness? I feel like we could have a whole podcast on essentially that's essentially the the root of that question. Like, is this good toughness or is this bad toughness?
0: Um, yeah. And, and being really honest with yourself. And, and I think that's, yeah, all part of the season planning, as far as like, what you can you do now? What makes sense and what makes logistical sense and what is going to put you in the best situation to get ready for race day and perform on race day and really thinking that through, I think, is, is the bottom line here. And, like, maybe that means you need to push through. Maybe that means you don't. But, but looking at that end result and, what, like, whether you count back, like, Maryland or whether you have, like, kind of some, like, fuzzy amount of time you need to do X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, however you get to where you are now, thinking about where you want to be and then, like, what the best way to get there is at the right time. Um I agree but we're running long here. So I'm looking for an exit.
1: (laughs) Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have Elliot and Marilyn on. This is Jesse talking. This is definitely not Elliot talking. (laughs) I've enjoyed having company from the United States being all alone in Switzerland. Um, Yeah. What
0: else did I forget to say myself, Jesse? Uh, That was pretty good. You guys have anything else to add to Elliot's goodbye?
2: I think just the main takeaways here, if people are listening is, you know, making sure that you, you take the time to think about how you're going to pace your year, right? Take in, write down some things, have your, it's not just, okay, I'm just going to train weekend and week out exactly the same, but having a really good idea of what you know, what the year is going to look like and, and just really have some kind of plan to pace the year. And like anything, right. Just, just planning and awareness is going to go a long ways.
1: Life's not a track meet. It's a marathon. Thanks guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much team.
1: Bye.